You are listening to Houndstooth Heroes, the bowl extravaganza. My name is Greg Dawkins, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Mr. Ellis Metz. If you are new to the program, you can find us on the website at houndstoothheroes.com, on Facebook, or on Twitter at htoothheroes. We have a special guest today by the name of Carter Spires from Pete Carroll Was Right, the uh, webcast that you can find on the Houndstooth Heroes Global Conglomerate. Before we get into it, uh, welcome Carter and tell the uninitiated about Pete Carroll was right. What is it and why the hell is it called that? Uh, hey everybody, I'm Carter. Um, so Pete Carroll was right is, um, it's formerly was a podcast last season and now it's sort of this live video show that we do. It's me and my friends, uh, Mitchell Wesson and Ben Litvin. And the story behind it is basically that the three of us, when we were all in Tuscaloosa together two years ago, we would have, we would talk about Alabama football and we had what we thought were really good conversations about it. And we felt like there was sort of a, a dearth of content out there that uh, for Alabama football that was really like in-depth football focused, you know, like strategy, player evaluations, X's and O's, all that type of stuff. Um, and so we started out just doing a podcast last year and we've, uh, gone to the video show this year and uh the profile of it's grown a little bit and uh we've had a lot of fun doing it um if you follow either me or ben on twitter he's at ben underscore litvin and i'm at rtrfnd um if you've seen us do the like gif film review of of games that's the sort of the type of content that we wanted to do and those are the sorts of things we talk about on the show and uh, and we've felt good about the content we've created. The name comes from, uh, so the 2015 Super Bowl after the, the 2014 season with the Seahawks and the, the Patriots and that, you know, the one yard line play. Um, and you know how everybody afterwards was just like, you have Marshawn Lynch run the ball on the one yard line. Well, you know, football is not always that simple. And so I guess the idea behind the name was that we had a long discussion about that play and whether or not you actually agree with that call. Um, you know, I uh, football always deserves a deeper analysis, and so the the name is a nod to that, I guess. That, that was deep, and I was gonna sit here and argue with you over the name, but I think you just explained <laughs> it in a in a really good way. Uh, I've got to say, quickly, Carter, it has always been a lifelong dream of mine to podcast with a two time Jeopardy champion. So I just wanted to say thank you <laughs> thank for making you, my yes. dreams come true. Uh, yeah, the, the Pete Carroll was right name has kept me up many a night, but I've got to say, there's one thing that's kept me up many more nights, and that is the Carolina ghost pepper sauce from our good friend Bill Howard <laughs> at Wild Bill's Wing Sauce. See what I did there? Uh, those guys are just doing fantastic stuff out of Orange Beach, Alabama. In addition to their classic wing sauce and the Carolina ghost pepper, they have added a sweet and spicy sauce to the repertoire. Find out more at wildbillsauce.com and anywhere Bama Wise products are sold. And also a big thanks to Druid City Brewing in Tuscaloosa for always keeping us in the tastiest of suds. Stop by and see Bo Elliott whenever you're in Tuscaloosa. Even if it's not game day, there's always something to do. On Friday nights, there's trivia. You most you may stumble into emo night with Tyler. Who knows? But speaking of cold libations, kids, what are y'all drinking? 
Well, you know, my, my goal was to find a Washington beer tonight. Uh, it was top of my to-do list, but the issue, I guess, with to-do lists is sometimes you actually have to do those things. So it didn't pull that out, but then I got to thinking, you know, what's the thing I can make that's closest to Washington? Uh, and Moscow Mule came to mind, pretty much the same place. Uh, oh, so okay. that's what I'm sipping on tonight, made with Tito's, always delicious. Oh. Uh, oh, Carter, God. yourself? Yeah, um, I'm actually not too far off. I'm drinking uh, what you might call a Kentucky Mule. It's uh, Old Forester and uh, Buffalo Rock Ginger Ale, which is Ooh. it's basically the official mixed drink of the Spires family. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. I've actually always heard that Coach Bryant was a big fan of bourbon and ginger ale. Can anybody confirm? I cannot. Okay. Anyway, Gregory? I don't know if that's true, but I hope it is. Uh -huh. Well, okay. Uh, I have, uh, as you know, I am in Guatemala where rum comes uh, in like a dollar a gallon. So it's basically hard <laughs> not to be on that train. So I'm back on the rum train. Uh, got a handle of a Bacardi today for what, what is the equivalent of $8 US. So uh, that's what I am rolling with and rolling pretty hard. <laughs> solid, solid. Well, before we get into the meat of this here sports taco we have some coaching news uh it's mid-december which has become a uh, frequent time for the carousel in tuscaloosa to get to turn and this week the big announcement of course uh our boy your boy lane kiffin you may know him better as joey freshwater uh has been hired as the head football coach at florida atlantic university and replaced in tuscaloosa with one steve sarkeesian so former USC head coach out, former USC co head coach in. Um, he was also, Sarkeesian was the head coach at Washington for a number of years, so adds a little extra flair to the upcoming game. Wasn't exactly excelling there, but got them to a couple bowl games and uh, was ultimately rewarded with a head coaching job in L.A. for that. Ran into some personality difficulties, you might say. Uh, and was dismissed mid-season, I guess a year ago. Quickly, back to Freshwater. I think, I, I don't know, I think you were kidding yourself if you assumed, A, that he would be around next year, and I also never bought into uh, the LSU offensive coordinator position, even though they hired DeCocho strictly on getting Lane Kiffin. Uh, but, but I think there were three options for a head coaching gig for Lane, uh, number one being Houston, who I think made a horrible gaffe that will hurt them for the next few years uh, in hiring Major Applewhite instead of Lane. <laughs> Was that based on a team vote? Is that true? I don't know, man. I see all these uh, rumors on Twitter, and then I come on here and expect answers from you guys. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I, okay. I don't know. We don't, we don't know the workings, inner workings of the Houston football program. Uh, Sadly. Number two was USF, which I just frankly didn't see Charlie Strong kind of sinking that low, and I think it's a great hire for the Bulls down there. Uh, and then number three, Florida Atlantic, where he ultimately ended the Owls, uh, welcomed very graciously by the AD Pie chapter down there. And when we tried to get in on the fun on Twitter... Uh, we're, we're pretty quickly and swiftly blocked from their account. So, <laughs> that is correct. I, I'm a little frustrated, got a bad taste in my mouth from, from FAU to begin with. But, Gregory, why don't you uh, talk to me kind well, of about going forward what this means? Well, let me tell you this. First of all, what's fantastic about the FAU hire 
is that they are the owls, and now we can call Lane Kiffin the head hooter. But uh, you're right. Uh, he, uh, Coach Sarkeesian was contacted by Coach Saban's coach for the disgraced coach, camp for the disgraced coaches and became an offensive analyst uh, last year. Coached uh, both Jake Locker and Carson Palmer, landing one of those gentlemen a Heisman Trophy. But fun fact, though he's known for his quarterbacks, he had a 1,000-yard rusher in each of his six years that he was the head coach. And one other fun fact that I learned from Michael Casagrande's article was that he sat in the coach's booth for all of last year with a headset, but he was not allowed to talk. He could only listen. So, anyway, your thoughts on the hire, Carter? Uh, I love it. Um, this is something that on on PCWR we had sort of assumed was going to be the situation all year, and we were we were very happy to see that that's how it turned out. Um, the first reason I love it is continuity. You know, Sark's been all been there all year. He's been game planning with Lane all year. He's been he knows this program now. He knows the players that are in it. He knows the system. He knows what Coach Saban wants to do, and he knows what he wants to do, which is similar to a lot of the things that Lane has been doing. And you can already see, if you look at practice reports, that they're already ramping up his involvement in the offense, which is just is perfect for me. The second is, and Greg, you kind of touched on it, um, is that he's um, he's got pretty good chops as a quarterback coach. And, you know, that's one thing that Saban always, you know, ever since he's been here, he's had his offensive coordinator be his quarterback coach. And so that was one thing that no matter who the offensive coordinator was, um, particularly with Jalen as the quarterback and wanting him to develop and with him being as good as he already is and looking forward to what this offense can become over the next couple of years, a strong quarterback coach was like my number one criteria for an offensive mm. coordinator. So I'm happy about that. Um, another thing is that um, while I like the continuity in terms of style between Lane and him, um, you know, people talk about that Saban brought Lane in to modernize the offense and to bring in these spread principles. And one thing people forget is that Lane was not really a spread offensive coach before he was at Alabama. He was pretty much a straight pro-style guy. And so um, I think the, the, the modernization of the offense under Lane has been a learning process for him as much as it was for the program at Alabama. While Sark was actually doing you know, had RPOs in his offense, was doing some spread option stuff, had stuff like that in his offense as far back as Washington. So he's even more, as we continue to 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 bring in these spread principles and particularly these option run principles into the offense, um, Sark has more experience with that than Lane did coming in. So that's something that I'm happy about as well. Um, and then finally, as far as, you know, the big question mark that people are going to talk about is, you know, with the, the issues he had, personal personal issues he had um, with alcohol at, at USC and purportedly as far back as Washington, um, you know, none of us can really know what that's like for him um, in terms of where he is now and what his life is like. But my stance on that is if Nick trusts him and Nick is happy with where, with where he's at and is comfortable hiring him, then I have zero problem with it. So, totally agreed. In the process, we trust uh, <laughs> Carter. You are entirely too smart for our listener listener on this on this podcast. But I will ask you, in plain terms, will Sark run the damn ball? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Okay. There you have it. 
All right. Uh, all right. So we promised you a bold extravaganza and a bold extravaganza you will receive. We're going to take a look at six bowls, including involving, excuse me, Southeastern Conference team, as well as the two national semifinals. And as always, we will enjoy our hates of the week. Of the week. Of the week. Of the week. Oh, Lord. All right. First up, Tax Slayer Bowl. I know you're all excited about it. Georgia versus uh, Georgia Tech versus Kentucky. And Georgia Tech is favored by four points. And let me tell you. As Mets mentioned, if you're a fan of running the damn ball, well, boy, howdy, do I have a game for you. Everybody knows Paul Johnson's V's can run the ball. But in the second half of the season, Kentucky discovered a rushing attack. Unfortunately for Kentucky, they cannot stop anyone who does run the damn ball. So that should set up nicely for Georgia Tech quarterback Justin Thomas. Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson ran all over Kentucky until he decided that turning the ball over would be more fun, and he did that instead. Uh, I'd look for the same from Justin Thomas. Uh, Kentucky's front seven is pretty stout, but their secondary is soft as hell. So if Georgia Tech can connect on a pass or two, that will probably end up being the difference in the game. I think Tech wins here in a shootout. Uh, I don't know if they cover the four, but 61 is the total. And given them both defenses penchant for giving up yards, I am hating the under in this game so much so that I am making it my hate of the week. What about you, fellas? Of the week, of the week, of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> Man, that's a bold take to come right off the top rope, first one, uh, you know. with your hate of the week there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have a, much to add. I think you're exactly right. Uh, but I will say, bowl season has proven to be the perfect chance for Paul Johnson's little... Is it a triple option, Carter? You would know. Can I call it a triple option? Uh, triple option is a good enough term, yeah. Okay. Good enough term, people. I'll take That's it. That's all we're looking for here is good yeah, enough. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but it's a perfect time for him to throw in some of his trickeration that that offense lends itself to. Uh, I think Kentucky sort of, uh, was it, one, one Alabama linebacker, maybe Reggie Ragland, was quoted as using the phrase, shot their wad in AL.com article last season. So I'm going to say I think Kentucky shot their wad with uh, the Louisville win, probably comes back to earth here. And, yeah, I like I like Tech to cover the four. Yeah, I'd say if you're, if you're going to make me pick, um, I would say Georgia Tech probably comes out on top on this one. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, this just has the feel of a game. You know, every year there are a couple bowls that just get – flat wacky you know i think this is i think this is going to be one of those games i think this is going to be a weird game so uh you know i'd I'd take georgia tech to cover probably um you know four is a small enough spread that you know if you if you expect a team to win then you probably expect them to cover so yeah i think i take tech to cover all right good luck you got the uh, outback bowl for us too huh yeah, um, so the Outback Bowl is going to be a game, uh, if you were a fan of Big Ten football in the 1970s, or if you're a really big fan of watching grown men smash their faces into brick walls, um, the, you're going to love this game. Um, so when Florida has the ball, um, going by uh, you know Bill Connolly, who writes for uh, SB Nation, is a big advanced stats guy, his S&P Plus is his main metric, and Going, going by his metrics, when Florida has the ball, you've got the number 107 out of 128 teams in, in FBS. The 107 offense versus the number 12 defense of Iowa. And when Iowa has the ball, you've got the number 65 offense versus the number 8 defense of Florida. Um, this is going to be ugly. Yeah. 
Um, if Florida's off, Florida's offense, Cardinals doing yeah. something nasty. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, outside of two drives against Alabama, Florida's offense has been pretty uh, ugly all year. Um, Iowa. You know, C.J. Beathard is not a bad quarterback. Um, he's pretty solid, but their receivers are not great. Um, so their passing game overall is pretty mediocre. Um, Iowa's offense is they're they're terrible on third downs, but they for some reason finish really well in the red zone. They actually get points on like ninety two percent of red zone drives, which for an offense as terrible as they are is is sort of surprising. Yeah. Um. I think the line this one is I think Florida is favored by three. Um, Just on sort of an overall talent level thing, um, you know, Iowa's got Desmond King, who's probably going to be a first round pick at corner. And uh, they have some other they have some pieces in their front seven. Uh, Josie Jewell, their middle linebacker, is a pretty good player. Um, I think I'll take Florida in this one. Just um, I do think their defense is better. And I was not great at holding on to the ball. Uh, they, as, as plotting of an offense as they have, they only average like 27 minutes of possession, I think. Um, so maybe they wear down later in the game and, and Florida eventually puts this one away. But um, so I'll take Florida to cover in this one, but it's, um, it is not going to be a pretty sight. Yeah. And I don't have a whole lot to add to that, except uh, I, I, it's a home game for Florida. So for that reason, I'm going to hate Iowa, and for no other reason, Iowa. Yeah, Iowa's generally a pretty good bowl team. However, like I said, it's it's in Florida's backyard, and for no other reason, uh, because like I said, and like you said, it's going to be uh, the slowest, ugliest game you've ever seen. And having said that, they're both going to score 60. But nevertheless, <laughs> I am still going to hate on the Hawkeyes. What about you, Mets? You guys, stop talking about all this ugly, hard-hitting football. Or I'm going to have to. Slip my pants off here. Pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, my reasoning is about as deep as yours, and mine is that uh, I will just never, ever take Iowa over an SEC team in a bowl game of any sort. And I hate to be that way, but uh, you know, I think there are some signs that point to Iowa. They finished their season on a very high point of demolishing Nebraska like 40 to 10 or some such ridiculous number. Um but again, I think the Florida defense is just too solid. I think their offense is pretty garbage. As you said, what, 100 and something. Um, but I think McElwain gets it done with a few extra weeks to practice. The, I think the line, ooh, it's slim, and I'm not positive Florida covers. But I think they win, so therefore I'm going to hate the Hawkeye anyway. All right, moving on. You moving got on there, to my fair city. Uh, this year's Music City Bowl hosts the <coughs> Nebraska Corn Farmers against your Tennessee Corn Farmers. Uh, the Tennessee. line there is Vol minus three and a half. So naturally, though, I have to start my analysis uh, with the Bama alum involved in the game, which is one Nebraska head football coach, Mike Riley. Uh, you may remember he entered the season somewhat on the hot seat after a first year where the team just found numerous ways to lose games that they shouldn't have lost, uh, but entered this season and promptly went 7-0 and against the likes of powerhouses Wyoming, Fresno State, and one of the most trash-ass Oregon teams in recent memory. Uh, 
you know, this Nebraska team, I saw it written somewhere that they didn't really have the talent, the identity, or the game plan to challenge for anything substantial. Uh, but there they were halfway through the season in the top 10 anyway. Uh, nothing about them stands out except for their quarterback, Tommy Armstrong. I believe he's a sophomore and has cut his interceptions in half this year down to six. Uh, is a key running threat on their offense. Uh, he was injured in their final game of the season, the aforementioned 40-10 to loss to Iowa. Uh, but he and several other key players on their offense have had time to heal. So they'll bring a full team to play Butch Jones's Vols. I don't really know where to start on the Vols, but I imagine it's somewhere between the V-O and the L-O-L-O-L-O-L that follows thereafter. Uh, as has been well documented on this show, this was the year that Tennessee was supposed to win the SEC East and supplant itself squarely into the playoff conversation. Uh, they were coming back with senior leader and early, and I stress early, Heisman contender, more LOL, uh, quarterback Josh Dobbs. You know, I haven't seen a quarterback that was that highly touted bust that much since Auburn all the past six years. Um, there we were. They had a stable of running backs and a defense that I think even had a couple four-star recruits. So big, big, big things were expected in Knox County. Uh, but... All in all, I think we know what happened. They are uh, licking their wounds from a whooping here in Nashville, ironically, to the Vanderbilt Commodores, uh, despite wins over Florida and barely Georgia. Uh, the Vols did not win the SEC East and are now playing a December 30th bowl game. I've got to say on a personal note, two, two things here, one negative, one positive. Uh, first, I'm pretty bummed about not getting to beat Tennessee twice you know that would have been the first time in history as far as I know uh and and their fans had asked for it before the season to play Alabama twice would have just been unending joy that I would have uh looked back upon and and smiled well into old age uh and then secondly while I'm not happy about vile vols invading my city uh over the holiday break here I've got to say it gives me a hearty chuckle to think about those poor schlubs shilling out $600 tonight to get a tiny hotel room and hopefully see their team lose in what is now named Nissan Stadium. Uh, should they beat Nebraska, I guess on the bright side, Butch Jones' team will end up with nine wins on the season, which isn't, I mean, it, it's for Butch Jones, probably a great banner year. Uh, but should they lose... Uh, they're going to have five less losses on the year, and I think Butch comes back squarely on the hot seat, and God, there's just nothing I love more than a Tennessee football coaching search. So fingers crossed uh, for the next 12 months or so that, that things shape up for that. Uh, as we may or may not, we did mention earlier, the line here is Vol minus three and a half, and I've gone back and forth on this many a time, I think I'm going to end up, it pains me to say it, I think I'm going to end up hating a Cornhusker here, and I do mean the Nebraska kind. Uh, Vol is going to be a much healthier team than they've been since probably the Texas A&M game. Granted, they have lost a couple of players who uh, abruptly quit midseason, including their starting running back, Jalen Hurd, which was hilarious. Uh, but I think if you look at the past two years 
they kicked Northwestern's ass in a bowl game, and previous to that, kicked Iowa's ass in a bowl game. Uh, so I, Butch seems to be able to rally his troops for one final hurrah, and of course they'll be uh, trumpeted as the 2017 SEC East champions before the season. All right, Carter? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think you put it well about uh, this Balls team and Butch Jones teams in general. Um, on paper, this Tennessee team is much better than Nebraska. Um, you know, like you said, Nebraska got undefeated on a paper soft schedule early in the season and then just got demolished several times over this. I mean, what, didn't Ohio State beat them like 60-3 to or something like that? It was <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. a, a massacre, and and then Iowa beat the hell out of them too, like you mentioned. Um, you know this Tennessee team this year has been particularly two headed. Um, you know they beat Florida, they beat Georgia, they they took A and M to the wire, and then they also got the crap beat out of them by Vanderbilt. Uh, so it depends on which team shows up. Uh, I think you made a good point about that. That Butch has gotten them to play well in bowl games the past two years. So um, I will I will take uh, I'll take the balls to cover in this one, um, but I, I it would please me greatly if if they just came out and and looked like utter garbage, um, which I think is a distinct possibility. Oh, totally. And and let me just jump in and say if that starts to shape up and it's like mid third quarter and that's happening, I'm totally driving to the stadium. <laughs> Just, just like bring a flask and sit by your yes. car and, It'll be the, and laugh as they walk out. The second time this year, I get to watch their fans stream out of a butt kicking early. Fair enough. Uh, I don't have a lot to add to that. Uh, my only, I think, like I said, I'm going with this one uh, on a lot of things you said. I was kind of leaning Nebraska early. Uh, I'm not now. You talked me out of it. I think Butch Jones can get them coached up. For a bowl game, it is uh, in their backyard, which is hilarious. Um, so, yeah, all right, fine. They have more talent. Let's. I mean, just I was leaning against them because you know they lost to Vanderbilt. However, yes, they have more talent. Yes, Butch Jones can seem to pull it together for a bowl game, uh, despite being a really well. I don't know that pissed off is the word. I'm more sort of overjoyed and then pissed off that Butch Jones has blocked us on Twitter. Uh, nevertheless, I am going to hate on a Cornhusker. Um, maybe at home the ball can pull out a win, although they've not had good luck in Nashville in the last, oh, let's say, couple of weeks. Uh, anyway, with that said, uh, Carter, you got LSU and Louisville. Yeah, the Citrus Bowl. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about these teams individually. I think these are both teams that have received a fair amount of press this year. So I imagine if you pay attention to college football at all, you know something about each of these two teams. And I'm going to say the key here is probably whoever actually cares about this game. <laughs> um, you know, LSU has had a pretty bizarre season, all things considered. Um, and then Louisville, you know, all season long, even after the loss to Clemson, they were getting talked up. And, you know, like, this could be a team that's in the playoff. Like, this is, you know, a, a big contender here. And then they came out and got blasted by U of H and then um, decided to drop the ball all over the place and eventually lose to Kentucky. Um, I think if they come out with basically evil, equal motivational levels, I like LSU just because I, you know— Lamar Jackson is the best best player on the field by a mile. 
Um, but Louisville's overall talent level is not great. Um, in particular, I don't think their offensive line is very good. Uh, they struggled to protect Jackson a number of times this year. Um, so if these two teams are both actually invested in this game, or if they both don't care at all about this game, um, I'm going to give the edge to LSU. Um, I think the line is three, so I think I'd probably take them to cover. Um, just because I, I think they can run the ball pretty much at will, um, and that'll that'll open things up for Etling to complete a, complete a few passes. Um, and then on the defensive side, they have a really, really good secondary. And uh, if if Jackson has a weakness as a player, it's, it's that he's inconsistent as a passer. Um, his ball placement down the field is not... Uh, not fantastic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think uh, with the talent LSU has in the front seven, they'll be able to stop him enough uh, for them to win that game. On the other hand, if LSU comes out flat and Louisville's ready to play, um, you know, you can't ever come out flat against a player as good as Jackson is because he will absolutely make you look silly if you're not ready to play. Um, so I will take LSU to cover with the caveat that uh, this will be their first game under under full time to coach O. Mm-hmm. Um, if he has them ready to play, I think they win this game. Um, if they're you know still feeling the hangover of of the this disappointment of a season, then there's a good chance Jackson just sort of runs all over them. Yeah, I'm not buying LSU in this game at all. Uh, I am hating LSU. I, I I'm not sold on a coach O. I think. Uh, I think LSU, I mean, I, I don't know. I just think they're going to come out flat. I Fournette's not going to play. Uh, Guiche, as you know, uh, is, is, is a fine running back in his own right. However, uh, I think this has the makings of another shootout. I think uh, Del- Lamar Jackson is going to score, is going to, uh, well, it depends on what LSU, LSU is an odd situation. LSU's defense can and they've shown it against Alabama. They are absolutely capable of stopping anybody. However, they don't always. And I think they're not going to particularly be particularly motivated to be sitting in the Florida Citrus Bowl, uh, whereas Louisville, as shades of the Sugar Bowl when they beat Florida, is going to be extremely motivated to come down there and show what they actually can do, especially on the heels of losing to Kentucky, that they want to come down there and beat an SEC school. And frankly, bowl games are not really about – talent they're about motivation i think louisville has the motivation here and lsu doesn't uh, so i'm gonna hate on lsu that's i if louisville has motivation then i think that's a good take but i'm not sold that louisville will have motivation uh you know lsu's final regular season game was that like 55 54 to 39 i want to say uh win over the tamu aggies where aforementioned guiche just had a field day uh, I think we probably see a game similar to that. I don't think uh, Louisville is any better, even when motivated. I'm not sure that they're better than an unmotivated Aggie team. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I just don't think, I think LSU's defense causes all kinds of problems for Lamar Jackson uh, when he tries to both run and throw the ball. And I think Guiche has himself a day. So I'm actually declaring this my... Head of the week. Of the week, of the week, Thank of the week. Thank you, I needed that. Fair. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the Tyga, Dakocho Tyga to cover big here. 
Fair enough. All right, we've got one more game before Ellis Metz takes you to the hilarity that is the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I got the Liberty Bowl for you. I got Georgia and TCU. Georgia is a one-point favorite. The game could be fantastic or a complete snoozer. This is not the TCU offensive old. They've been inconsistent in both the run and the passing game. Add to that, Georgia may suck on offense, but Kirby's defense has pretty much done his job. Meanwhile, TCU's run D is hot garbage. Both Oklahoma and Kansas State ran all over the Horned Frogs. And Nina reminds you that Georgia does have Nick Chubb in the backfield. Uh, TCU has a chance, though. Uh, Georgia's defense is stout, but if you get in the red zone, the dogs will absolutely oblige and let you score. They're the second worst defense in college def- in college football in allowing scores inside the 20. And one final tidbit, and this one's kind of weird, this game may hinge on TCU's ability to get to Jacob Eason, the Georgia quarterback. When they get less than two sacks in a game, they're 0-4. Uh, when they get more than two, I think they're like 6 and whatever the other number is, I'm not really good at math. Uh, but I think the run game will prove to be too much for TCU. So I am going to hate on the Horn Frogs and put my money on the dogs. What about you, fellas? I actually uh, am agreeing with you there. I think Kirby Smart has proven in his time at Alabama or proved at his time in Alabama that uh, he can get ramped up for a bowl game. I mean, there were, there were some areas to dispute that, but I, I'm immediately thinking back to a previous Outback Bowl uh, where that defense in 2010 was one of the best performances I have ever seen. Uh, that plus the fact that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle have now announced that they'll be back next season for the Bulldogs uh, leads me to hate TCU pretty hard here. All right, Carter. Yeah, I'm going to go with Georgia. Um, I, I This season felt very much to me, um, I think it's easy to draw parallels to for Georgia, for Kirby at Georgia to Nick Saban's 2007 Ooh. at Alabama. Uh, I think he's starting to lay the foundation there, and I like them to come out and play really hard and sort of, you know, this isn't um, a, a fantastically talented Georgia team, but they've got some guys. And um, I think Eason, uh, as, as as good as he's been over the season, I think he sort of takes a step for this bowl game and um, – uh, you know, it's, it's a good point that you, you can kind of run all over TCU and, and uh, Chubb is a hell of a player. I, I, I'm honestly flabbergasted that he's coming back next year because yeah. um, uh, I don't, if you're a running back and you're going to get drafted, you should go after your junior year. You just, you just should. Um, but I don't know. I just think um, I never want to be too down on TCU because I think Gary Patterson is a really, really fantastic coach. Um, but this is one of the worst teams he's had there in a number of years. Um, and I don't like them to, to take down Georgia. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. To quickly carry your metaphor, uh, of the 2007 Nick Saban season to this one, uh, that tied ended up in the independence bowl, which would tie this Liberty bowl game that Kirby's playing in, Memphis to Shreveport, which is actually a pretty fair comparison, I gotta say. I don't want to spend an extended weekend in either. Oh, that's just cruel. Memphis is fantastic. (laughs) All right, let's get to the funny papers, shall we? Uh, The the funny papers, indeed. Uh, Tell us about the Sugar Bowl, my friend. Down south in New Orleans, we have uh, a Sugar Bowl that pits the Gus Buses of the Plains against the... 
I don't have a funny one for the Sooners. I don't have an, any one for the Sooners. The Sooners of the Okie State, uh, starting with the barn after a one and two start and and a just paper thin victory over LSU. Had that timer gone the other way, who knows what the season would have held. Uh, Gus went from the hot seat to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I think the good news for Alabama fans is that he received Buku bonus money for making it down there and uh, could possibly get an extension any day. So that'll be hilarious to continue to watch. Uh, Auburn comes into the game with a running game behind one Cameron Petway. Uh, if you have been on the Twitters, you may have seen that Auburn fans have photoshopped him in heaven, which gives you a mm. little bit of a, uh, a glimpse, not only into their deranged fan base, but also where they hold Cameron Petway in their heart. That is peak Auburn, right? It was gonna, the most god I'm, I'm confused. Is he going to die? It was when he was returning from injury. Oh, and apparently God. was it like an angel descending down. What, is he Jesus? Right. So is he far. literally Jesus? Literally. You know, <laughs> rushing for 236 yards against that vaunted Ole Miss Landshark defense of 2016 will give you that kind of reputation. Uh, so he's back. You know, their offense is going to be flashy, and hopefully someone on the Oklahoma sideline will yell, run another trick play, bitch. But really, it's the Auburn defense <laughs> where where their their money is made, and I do mean that literally. Uh, Carl Lawson leads a fearsome pass rush, uh, and you know they they've been rock solid against the run all year. Alabama or Alabama's offense was slowed down. Excuse me. Uh, Texas A&M stalled, and Clemson was held to just 19 points against that Auburn defense. Uh, nine times all season, Auburn held teams to under 20 points, so they've got that going for them. Uh, the issue here is the OU offense is not exactly Alabama or even Clemson, for that matter. They are led by Gregory's boy, one Baker Mayfield. Swoon. Those dance moves, though. I love them. <laughs> uh, and, and they are the number one offense in the nation in terms of passing efficiency. Uh, they scored 34 points or more in all 10 of their wins. Uh, but in their two losses, which came against Houston and Ohio State, they scored 23 and 24, respectively. Uh, so when they have come up against elite defenses, the O has fizzled out a little bit for Oklahoma. Uh, and last season, they faced Clemson in the Orange Bowl in the first round playoff game uh, and, and got totally embarrassed on a national stage. So you have to think there is some sort of chip on their shoulder, but this isn't quite the playoffs that they're in. And they're, they're playing an Auburn team who, again, almost started 1-3. Uh, their defense for Oklahoma, not so much a thing. Uh, teams are able to throw without a problem. Basically... They can run. If you look at West Virginia, they had no problem kind of with a power running game against Oklahoma, so I don't think that uh, bodes well for them. But on the offense, in addition to aforementioned Mayfield, they have one Dee Dee Westbrook, who may be a female. I'm not positive. Yeah. Well, he's the best wide receiver in college football, in my opinion. Well, named Dee Dee. I'm well, you know. Best, best Dee Dee in college football, I would imagine. <laughs> Uh, and then on easily the, within the top five DDs. Yes, I think that, right. Yeah, that's a fair yeah, I, judgment. I'm going to say the top DD. <laughs> they, um, 
On the ground, they have one Samaje Pirine, whose brother uh, some of, well, I'm sorry, our listener may have seen uh, playing for Florida Sun this year, and his brother certainly has a lot of talent, and, and this guy's good too, uh, as well as one woman abuser in Joe Mixon. So uh, I, if that's not, I, I actually think that may be motivation enough for me to pull for Auburn in this game, and I want them to lose so badly. Uh, but to get to my actual pick, I'm probably going to have to pull for Auburn too. I, I hate Oki here because I just think they can't stop Auburn. And I think while Oklahoma's offense has done some really fun to watch things, and I'll say it, some cute things, uh, I don't see that going down against an Auburn defense that has gotten progressively much, much better from where they were at the start of the season. I was all ready to pick Oklahoma. I mean, I'm all ready to pick Auburn, my bad, uh, because this line is three, and it's not what I thought it was going to be. I expected the Oklahoma-Auburn line to, to have Oklahoma favored by eight or nine. Uh, so I was already all ready to pick Auburn. Uh, but if it's three, give me Oklahoma all day, man. I'll hate on the barn. I don't think Auburn's offense is going to be able to move the ball. Uh, Oklahoma's defense is nothing to write home about. But or Oklahoma, but Auburn's offense is also uh, watching. You know, it's, it's watching a turtle cross the street. Uh, sometimes, unless they pull it together, which is entirely possible. I'm not saying the Gus Bus can't pull it together. However, uh, judging on the history of Auburn's offense this season, they've not been anything to write home about. So I don't think they score a ton of points. Uh, even though the points are there to be scored against Oklahoma, I just don't think Auburn's going to do it. That said, Auburn's defense is stout, as you said. But Oklahoma's offense is nothing that they have seen yet. Uh, so I think Oklahoma scores the points. I think they cover the three, and I'm going to hate on the barn. What about you, Carter? I think this is going to be, uh, you know, I mentioned before about games that get weird, and the likelihood of that increases by about a thousand when Auburn is one of the teams involved. Sure. Um, so I think this is going to be a shootout. It's going to be just completely wacky. Um, I would probably take Oklahoma ultimately, but I think it's close. Um, you know, Auburn's offense has been inconsistent this year, but they do get Petway back completely healthy, and they will have Sean White back healthy. And the offense was at its best with those two um, against, you know, your Ole Misses and your Arkansas of the world, uh, who are not great teams, but, uh, you know, their defenses are about – Oklahoma's defense is trash. I mean, yes, to, really to, yeah. to, to order, I mean, think about it. if you ever watched the like sol, the the ranking shows this year. Um, Kirby Hoka said a whole fat load of nothing, uh, basically every time he was out there. But the one definitive thing he did say was in the final show they asked him like, "What's the deal with Oklahoma? Why is Oklahoma so low?" And he basically said, "Oklahoma's defense is trash." Mm-hmm. So like to be so trash that you make the 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 CFP committee chair when he gets asked questions on national TV to openly admit that you're trash. <laughs> That's you know, a pretty extensive level of garbage right there. So I think Auburn runs wild over Oklahoma's defense. Um, and their defense is very stout. Um, uh, I, I can yeah. see this one going over either way. I think I will ultimately take Oklahoma. Fair enough. 
And out in Godforsaken Glendale, no, seriously, do not ever go there if you do not have to. Clemson is a three-point dog to Ohio State, and I'll start with this one. The wrong team is favored here. Ohio State cannot throw the ball to save their lives. So if Clemson stacks the box, they win. It's as simple as that. Ohio State's defense is stout. But need I remind you, heroes, what Deshaun Watson did to our stout defense last year, which was to outgain us by a substantial amount. But for a well-placed onside kick by the Polish Sausage, Clemson goes home with the trophy. This Ohio team has overperformed all year. They're extremely young, uh, except at Penn State, where they got their asses handed to them. But they haven't seen an offense like Clemson's, in my opinion. I think Clemson wins. Uh, They've been in that stadium before. They know what's up. I don't think it's particularly close. So I am hating the Buckeyes here. What about you, Carter? Um... Yeah, so for me, the key factor in this game is it's it's Deshaun Watson. It, it all comes back to him. Um, if he's the Superman that he was uh, against Alabama in the in the championship last year, and that he has been on several other occasions in his career, uh, I think Clemson wins this game. Um, the issue is that he has not always been that Superman this year, and Clemson as a team has thrown out some clunkers this year. You know, they had NC State. Um, Obviously, Auburn was better than we all realized at the beginning of the year, but they weren't exactly stellar in that one either. Um, it's, you know, I'm never, ever going to confidently pick against a team that has as much talent as Ohio State does. I mean, they're they're the second most talented team in the country after Alabama, just on, on straight-up paper. They really are. Um, but, yeah, I think... JT Barrett seems to have regressed as a passer, um, which, you know, Urban has never been uh, never been great at developing quarterbacks as passers. But I, it feels like he's not even throwing the ball as well as he did, like, as a red shirt freshman in 2014, which is interesting. Um, he's a very smart quarterback. He makes great decisions in the in the option game. Um, he's he's a strong runner. He's not a particularly shifty one. Um, so I think a defense as, as athletic as Clemson's um, will be capable of tracking him down. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I realized until I looked, I delved more into the stats a little bit this week. Um, but Clemson's defense has been very disruptive this year. Um, yeah. They're top 10 in the country in both interceptions and sacks. Um, so they're pretty disruptive. Um, if If Barrett doesn't, turn in a better game as a passer than he's had for most of this year, um, then I think Ohio State's offense is going to be in for a world world of hurt. So um, sort of surprising myself, um, I think I am going to pick Clemson. Um, I don't know if, you know, as long as Deshaun Watson is is the guy that he can be, and they have – They've got an insane wide receiver. I think I think Mike Williams is the best receiver in the country. Um, Scott and Renfro and they uh, Artavis Bryant um, are just they've got great guys all around. Um, and so if if Deshaun is Deshaun Watson is anything closing anything approaching the player he is capable of being, and with Clemson having that experience and them having been there last year, I expect him to be. Um, I do think Clemson wins this game. Yeah, you make an interesting point in that really we've seen both quarterbacks in this game, Deshaun Watson and JT Barrett, play much better 
than they have this season, really. Uh, Deshaun Watson especially, and I blame future University of Alabama head coach Dabo Sweeney as much as that Roll kills Dabo. me to say. Team Ugh, never Dabo. Yes, very, very squarely never Dabo. But, uh, you know, da- uh, Deshaun gave us one of the best games I've seen anybody play against Alabama uh, in the championship game last year and then just came out so flat for the majority of the season this year, uh, which is a little, I mean, in, in normal standards, he's been a fine quarterback, but compared to what we saw in that one game, I just had higher expectations, I guess. Uh, and then on the other side, JT Barrett, you mentioned not quite the, the thrower that we thought he might be, not quite the runner that we thought he might be. I think his one skill uh, that will behoove him going against such a disruptive defense, which by the way, Greg and I use terms like disruptive in our football analysis all the time. We're smart. <laughs> We're smart. Uh, but um, I, I think he makes great plays when things go to hell. I think he just has a way, he's sort of the Phil Mickelson of Big Ten quarterbacks and that if he's <laughs> chipping out of the grass somewhere he's going to knock it off a tree and into the into the cup uh so there's some talent there i think i just hate a white a white linebacker like clemson has in that bowl wear kid who's the most <laughs> obnoxious player in college football do you um, but have you ever heard us on do you, do you do you do you listen to us because we have maybe we do it less when we're not actually recording but we have we have a long-running rule that Alabama doesn't lose to teams with white middle linebackers. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I'm so in favor. <laughs> well, sign me up. Um, yeah, I, I think, I just think if it's going to be postseason play, and I think Deshaun that you mentioned, the Superman Deshaun, shows up, and despite all the talent and a, a head coach who has proven himself in the postseason, I think Ohio State doesn't pull it off. Hating the Buckeyes here. All right, let's get get started, brother. It's the I'll game do we've been it. With about. that, the game at hand that the listener came for. Uh, hey, your Fred. Tide, hey, Fred. Your tide <laughs> travels to Atlanta, uh, where they will play in the sort of antiquatedly named Peach Bowl uh, to take on the Washington Sled Dogs at 2 p.m. God's time on New Year's Eve day. Uh, your tide currently sits in Vegas at a 16-point favorite. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of interesting dynamics to this game. Uh, the one thing that probably scares me the most is that the closest quarterback we saw to Jake Browning, uh, Washington's Jake Browning, is probably Chad Kelly. And Chad Kelly had a heck of a day and we needed our boy Eddie, who was not doubted once ever by your boys no, here. Never doubted him. Never did. Uh, Eddie Jackson <laughs> saved the day for us there. Uh, so it'll it it'll put a lot of pressure on our defensive backs. But I've got to say, I think they're up to the task. Anthony Averett has become a kid who nobody wants to challenge, which I didn't see happening. Uh, I think there were a couple down games, but if teams continue to try to challenge Marlon Humphrey. They're going to end up regretting that as well. And Minka Fitzpatrick, the Falconer, um, mm-hmm. has proven himself to be a, as apt a safety as we could ask for. Uh, I don't know if you saw on Twitter that his sort of hometown gym where he works out tweeted that he came home for one day prior to bowl prep and he uh, headed to the gym to work out, which gave me great hope 
I think there's a huge advantage in our coaching staff being prepared for this type of situation. I mean, we've been in the playoffs two years now. Uh, once didn't handle it so great. And then last time had one of the better games I've seen against Michigan State. All our best games seem to come against Michigan State, which is a side note. Um, so I think I think the, the mindset is right there. I've got to say the special teams, and I mean both the Polish sausage kicking and whoever we choose to return, which will probably be Trayvon Diggs back there, are major concerns for me. We saw how huge they proved to be in both playoff games last season. Uh, so that could potentially, I think, if, if there's anywhere, I, for me, that is one of the areas to circle where Alabama's potential downfall could come. Uh, but all that said, I, I just think we're going to come out motivated. Jonathan Allen has talked for a couple of months now about how this team has no threat for complacency because they were all around for the old Miss loss last year and the seniors aren't going to let that happen. I think the tide shows up in Atlanta, as we often do in Atlanta. And actually, I like your tide to cover. I'm going to go Tide 37, Sled Dogs 13. All right. Um, I My intention was to watch a good number of the Washington games, but, you know, life as it That's is. That's why we brought Carter. I, huh? That's why we brought Carter on. <laughs> Well, exactly, exactly. I ended up only watching the Washington-USC game, which is the only game that the Huskies lost. And I've got a few takeaways from it. Browning, if his receivers are open, uh, Browning is extraordinarily accurate. He does not miss. But uh, Washington receivers had some difficulty getting open downfield against USC. And look, this is the same USC defense that we played. We scored 56 on. The offense has improved with Sam Darnold at their center, but their defensive personnel is largely the same. And they more or less contained Browning in Washington. Uh, Washington does not seem to have depth at receiver or running back, or at least they didn't show it. But look, John Ross at wide receiver is the real deal as a wide receiver and as a return man. Um, they really only only relied on one guy at running back. So if we contain him, we only have to worry about Browning's arm, which uh, is on the shorts and the outs, he's fine. I'm not not terribly impressed with his deep ball. He underthrew a lot of them. Uh, USC, however, did not get to the quarterback very often. And I don't know if that's a testament to Washington's O-line or if USC's pass rush is uh, garbage. I, I don't know. Uh, but USC did have success throwing over the middle against Washington, uh, particularly to their tight end. So it could be another big night for O.J. Howard on the big mm. stage. So with that said, I think 16, but I'd still think 16 is too many against Washington's defense because uh, you just can't run on those guys, or at least USC wasn't able to. Uh, so I'm going to hate us, but not by a whole lot. My final score prediction is University of Alabama Crimson Tide, 30 football points, Washington Huskies, 16 football points. Uh, Carter, uh, you probably looked at this more in depth than anybody, so we'll close this game out with your thoughts and your pick. Yeah, so I did uh, I did some pretty extensive film study of Washington yesterday. I watched the USC, which I watched live. That, that's the one I paid the most attention to live. Um, I also watched um, Utah and Colorado um, YouTube is very nice because sometimes it has edited down hour or 30 minute versions of games. So it's great for quick film study. Um, the thing that was interesting to me at first glance was that you, 
uh, I was expecting to see Washington be way more spread than they were. I was expecting a lot of four and five wide receiver sets. And they really don't do that a lot. They're in lots of 11 personnel, which means uh, when you see that that double-digit number thing, uh, when you're talking about personnel, it means um, the first number is the number of backs, and the second number is the number of tight ends. So 11 is one back, one tight end. It's a three-wide receiver set. That is their base set. That is their base personnel, and they're in that a lot. Um, they have a tight end or an H-back on the field just about all of the time. Um it's modern, it's pro style, but it's modern pro style. Um, so you've got RPOs, run pass option type plays. You've got all, you've got the hallmarks of a modern offense, but it's um, it's a modern pro style rather than a really like four or five widespread type thing. Um, Jake Browning is good in general, um, very good in general. He he moves well. He keeps his eyes down the field. He spots wide receivers when they're open. He's very, very accurate in the short to intermediate game. Um, but his arm is, frankly, pretty bad. Um, when he's doing the, the NFL-type throws in the intermediate part of the field, like 15 to 20 yards downfield, um, you're like 15-yard outs and stuff like that. His ball placement is not great. It's pretty inconsistent. Um if he's getting guys there and then on the deep ball, like Greg mentioned, his, his deep ball is bad. Um, he, he constantly underthrows the deep ball and he, um, so, um, Greg mentioned John Ross and John Ross is their best player by far. Um, he is fantastic. They use him all over in the slot and out wide. He runs the full route tree. He's blazing fast. He's got good hands he consistently creates separation um, against a Dory Jackson, who I believe won the Thorpe award as the best wide receiver in the as the best defensive back in the country. He was consistently creating separation against a Dory Jackson. Um, so he is fantastic. Uh, their other receivers are good, but not special. Um, and I would say the same for, for their O-line and their running backs. Um, their backs are good. And their O-line is solid. Um, but I don't think the, the backs are not anything special compared to what Alabama's faced. And um, the offensive line can block, but they're not going to block Alabama consistently, I don't think. Um, and so the other thing that surprised me was that they actually do run it a lot. Um, USC really shut their running game down, but they ran for... 150 yards plus against basically everybody else. So a lot of people have talked about, I think, uh, have mentioned that, oh, Alabama can shut down the run and make them one-dimensional. And then, but then the, the question has been, it's like, oh, you know, you shut them down, but you still got Browning and those receivers. Like, can Alabama, you know, overcome that? Like, is are, is, is the secondary going to be good enough for that? I think shutting down their running game is a bigger deal than people realize because they rely on it a lot more than people realize. Hmm. Um, and so I, I do think Alabama can get pressure on Browning. Um, and when you do get pressure on him, he's, he's not Austin Allen or, or Chad Kelly in that respect that he's just going to get blasted and, and get up and then drop a dime 30 yards downfield. He definitely feels the pressure and he starts to hear ghosts. Um, so I think getting pressure on him is important. And if Alabama can stop the run, which I expect them to do, and get some pressure on him, then I think they'll be able to stop the, run, the Washington offense. Uh, quickly on the defense, 
Their secondary is pretty good. They have two really solid corners, and they have a very, very good safety in Buda Baker. Um, their front is solid against the run, but not, you know, like LSU or Florida level. Um, they're missing uh, Akeem Victor, who is one of their starting inside linebackers, and they're also missing Joe Mathis, who is their best pass rusher, although he's been out for a while. Um, with Mathis out, their pass rush is actually rather mediocre. Um, I don't expect them to be able to get really any pressure at all, um, considering how good Alabama has been in pass protection, particularly the two tackles. Um, so they blitz a lot to get pressure, and I expect them to do that a fair amount against Alabama. Um, finally, just I think Alabama can run the ball. Um, Alabama's offensive line is very, very good at what they do in terms of running the ball. And Washington's front is solid, but I think particularly late in the game, Alabama will be able to start pounding away. Um, my ultimate takeaway on this game is um, the big thing for Alabama in bowl practice is how does Jalen evolve as a passer? If Jalen takes strides as a passer, Alabama wins this game decisively. Mm -hmm. um, if this is the same Alabama team, the same offense, the same Jalen that it's been all season, um, it'll be tight for a while, I think. Um, Washington's got enough talent and they are extremely well coached. And I think they they're good enough to keep it close for a while, but I think Alabama leans on them late and, and runs the ball in the second half and pulls away. Um, I am going to take Alabama to cover. I think my final is going to be 35, 17 Alabama. 35, 17. I like it. Well, a plus take certainly the smartest takes that have been given on this here podcast but Carter Spires of Pete Carroll was right. We appreciate you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you. We'll do it again. And uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. If you thought this was the worst podcast you have ever heard, uh, the way to voice that frustration, and Lord knows we all need ways to voice our frustration now more than ever, is to pull up the podcast app on your smartphone, uh, find Houndstooth Heroes, give it five stars to tell us just how truly terrible it was, and that's how we'll know. But uh, I'll take it away. Y'all be good. Roll Tide.